Hello and welcome to The Unseen Shows, a new podcast series by Visual Artists Ireland. My name is Joanne Laws and I'm Features Editor of the Visual Artists News Sheet. This podcast series features interviews with artists whose exhibitions have been either cancelled, postponed or sealed behind closed doors due to the closure of all cultural venues in March in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The continued absence of physical encounters with art in public spaces has prompted us to find other ways of communicating with artists about their work. We feel that the distinctive pace and sensibility of the audio format provides a welcome break from excessive screen time that many of us are experiencing during lockdown. Given that we are disseminating these podcasts without accompanying visuals or moving image, technically these exhibitions will remain unseen. However, we hope these conversations will illuminate in other ways, making visible the rich inquiries that underpin each artist's wider practice. The sixth podcast in the series features an interview with Ursula Burke, whose recent solo show, A False Dawn, was originally scheduled to run at the Ulster Museum from the 7th of February to the 31st of May. I spoke to Ursula via Zoom in June about her approach to exhibition making and the main strands of her wider practice. Um, So I've had the pleasure of experiencing several of your exhibitions in the past, including different iterations of your series, The Precariat, which was presented as the doc in the RHA last year. So maybe you could start by maybe outlining your most recent body of work, which is currently being presented in your solo exhibition at Falls Dawn at the Ulster Museum. Um, maybe you could describe some of the individual artworks as well as your thematic approach to exhibition making in the museum context. Yeah, so um, the exhibition at the minute is um, called A False Dawn and it's on the Ulster Museum. And it was a co-production with the uh, CCI in Paris and the curators Noriaki Shilly and Kim Winnie were co-curators for the project. The exhibition is made up of porcelain sculpture, textile sculpture, and an acrylic wall drawing or painting, a wall drawing painting. And the work in the exhibition spans four years. It's made between 2016 and 2020. So thematically, um, I was looking at the idea of insecurity in the social and political realm. So people are struggling to subsist in an impoverished and increasingly unstable civil society um, in which personal solutions are prescribed to global problems. And it's just looking at the idea that insecurity is fast becoming a kind of universal condition. Mm -hmm. So born out of that, um, the idea of, you know, contested spaces, identities and borders, um, and oftentimes looking outwards towards kind of Brexit or Trump politics are issues that come in the work. And I'd been looking at the idea of the success or failure of the political enterprise. Mm-hmm. So to describe some of the pieces in the exhibition, some of the earlier earliest work that I have there, I have um, a piece that was in an exhibition that I did in the RHA gallery. It's called The Wounding, and it's a series of uh, bruised and wounded porcelain busts that you would have seen in the exhibition in the dock. Mm-hmm. Um, but along with that, there's some newer work. There's a piece called Blue Sphinx, and it's um, it's a porcelain and textile sculpture. And um, I did uh, a residency in, in CCI in Paris, and when I was there, I was looking at the idea of integrating, rather than kind of 
just continuing to make porcelain sculpture or, or textile sculpture separately. That you know, the penny drop that I would I would try and integrate the two. So um, Blue Sphinx is kind of one of you know the, my most newest pieces, and it's an example of that. Another piece is, is called Truncheon, and it's um, Truncheon is a porcelain bust, and it's a bust that's kind of lying on the side or on its head, if you could imagine it, mm-hmm. and the body of the of the sculpture is a truncheon so it's it's a truncheon that I bought online and covered and the idea is to anthropomorphize the you know the truncheon so the truncheon becomes a body to the bust and when I was um, on residency in CCI I spent a bit of time in the uh, Cluny Museum and the Cluny Museum has a series of incredible 15th century tapestries and in the tapestries um the tapestries have a series of women in different stages of repose, and around the women are these um, unicorns. These really incredible, uh, incredible unicorns are just hanging around doing different things. One is holding a mirror. Um, so, in the 15th century, everyone unequivocally believed that the uh, the unicorn was real. And the unicorn was depicted across different stages of art history. Mm-hmm. And I was looking a lot and thinking about the psychology of Brexit at the time. And so, you know, the idea that Brexit is this kind of grand folly in as much as the notion of the unicorn is, you know, in contemporary terms. So what I did was I went and bought a cushion cover in the, the cleaning museum gift store and then carved that up and covered the truncheon, the body of the truncheon in this cushion cover and then embroidered over it. So that's one of the newer pieces. And similar to that is another piece called Achilles heel. And it's a kind of disembodied foot. And the foot is also covered in the Cluny Museum cushion cover. And uh, emanating out of the foot is just kind of like lightning bolt, porcelain lightning bolt. And on the front of the foot is the image of the unicorn. And the piece, again, is kind of just looking at the notion of the folly or the kind of, yeah, the psychology around Brexit or that kind of um, the notion of like that your Achilles heel is your tender spot, it's your vulnerable point. And I was thinking a lot about kind of the collective wounding of people, especially in Northern Ireland in relation to kind of how Brexit might play out. Mm -hmm. So um, the other pieces, another piece would be... uh, the politicians, it's um it's an embroidery, it's a circular embroidery, and around it are these series of wooden beams that emanate out of it. And then there's a series of threads that fall down onto the floor. And the embroidery itself is an image of a series of politicians fighting in parliament. So formally the, the kind of embroidery looks like um, a Renaissance painting. It kind of looks like it, um, a Caravaggio. It has all the kind of uh, um, qualities of a Renaissance painting. So the actors in the frame are gesturing and the lighting is kind of chiaroscuro and the, the colour qualities are, it settles really within kind of a Renaissance palette. There's another series of embroideries called uh, Embroidery Freeze the Politicians. And that kind of acts in a similar way. It's a series of embroideries of politicians fighting in Parliament. Then there's a large wall drawing, 
Um, it's called uh, Aubrey of the Birds, and it's an acrylic wall drawing. And the wall drawing is based on an original fresco that can be found in Palazzo Massimo in Rome. And the original is kind of a, an example of a fresco that's, that illustrates nature in its most ideal form. So it's really um, exotic abundance. You know, the fruit is in bloom, the birds are flying in the sky, everything is operating in its most ideal form. Um, and my version of that fresco is kind of a, an, a dilapidation of the original. It creates a kind of critical framework for the, the sculpture. So it's a backdrop to the sculptures in that it creates a scene or asks, asks some questions in relation to the success or failure of the political enterprise at the minute. There's one other piece called Auger, and it's kind of a new piece as well. It's kind of like a surreal sculpture of a porcelain head hanging off a beam and off the, the head or the body that's attached to the beam is this kind of like a bee structure, this hand-knitted fleece wool body, this kind of circular body. Um, and it kind of looks a bit like a beehive or could be like a iron jumper. It's kind of wrestled, you know, settled somewhere in between this surreal construct of a, a person or an object. Um, so I think it's fair to say that there are three quite prominent or well-established strands within your practice, uh, namely the porcelain sculpture, taking classical busts as points of departure, embroidery, often with um, a strong narrative or storytelling function, um, and site-specific drawings, as you've already described, commonly displayed as uh, wall murals channeling the fresco tradition. So I'd love to hear more about your making process and your materials uh, for each element and also your feelings about how these different disciplines coexist and interact within your work. Sure. So um, I guess the, the first thing to say is the porcelain sculpture is really um, formally, uh, it's really invested in the classical realm, the classical tradition. I reappropriate tropes that are, you know, really um, yeah, invested in the classical tradition. So the work looks like or emulates marble. Um, mm -hmm. The porcelain that I use is a kind of uh, porcelain slip called Parian porcelain. So when it's fired, um, it has this kind of um, luster, this kind of beautiful buttery marble finish. Mm -hmm. So um, I use that as a material approach purely in a kind of pragmatic way because it gets me close to a piece of sculpture that looks like marble outside of carbon marble. I've been working in Belfast in Northern Ireland for a long time, for over 20 years, and I've been thinking a lot about notions of identity and representation. And I've been looking a lot at the, uh, the notion of the ideal. In the classical form in relation to sculpture, you know, so the, um, the expression of that in classical marbles, but also in relation to the notion of the ideal in society. So in Northern Ireland, there seemed to be a conversation going on post-conflict that is always kind of reaching for or striving to get to some indeterminate ideal space, you know, somewhere in the future. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do is create a kind of conceptual bridge between those two, those two poles. So the classical ideal in form, but also the kind of suspended notion of the classical ideal in society. So what you'll see a lot in terms of my porcelain sculpture is that I kind of construct these layered or 
um, dual representations in the sculpture whereby it looks classical, it has these kind of classical illusions, but oftentimes then um, a contemporary image will undercut it, I'll embed a contemporary image or contemporary reference and that undercuts or destabilizes, you know, what we know about the conventions around the classical, the classical form. And the other thing to say about the porcelain sculpture is that, you know, the work is highly influ influenced by data and surrealism as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a confluence of the two period styles or movements. And um, you can see that really in, piece, in some sculptures like Born, um, which is a little porcelain baby. And on its back, it has this um, wild, I guess, it's a, it's a construct. It's an actual, you know, an invention of mine. It's like a, a lizard with wings. And the lizard at any moment, it, it, the lizard is embracing the baby, kind of lovingly embracing the baby, but at any moment could suffocate it. And that little baby, that piece of sculpture is just asking some questions in relation to national identity and how useful or productive it is. And most recently in Augur as well, it's another kind of really surreal piece. So, yeah, Dad and Surrealism kind of shared that defining avant-garde conviction that social and political radicalism um, should be bound up with artistic innovation. And I really like that as a kind of concept, you know. And then in terms of the embroidery sculpture, the soft sculpture, embroidery typically was the domain of the female throughout history, you know, the history of the decorative arts. Mm -hmm. And um, never really socio-political. And embroidery stretches back to um, Cro-Magnum days, you know, 30,000 B.C., and the history of embroidery is really fascinating. It's quite interesting because embroidery throughout the medieval period um, was seen as a sign of high social status, you know, and I've been looking a lot at other models or other examples of embroidery and thinking of someone like the Mary Queen of Scots prison embroideries. And they're super interesting because, you know, during Mary's um, imprisonment, she made over 100 embroideries and needlework was kind of like a powerful act of resistance for her when she was under constant surveillance um, because a lot of the embroidery panels are embedded with these allegorical or really powerful, subversive, gentle but quiet um, meanings, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I like that notion of allegory in the work as well. And I use that in my embroideries oftentimes. So in the um, series Embroidery Frees the Politicians, that those panels, it's a series of eight panels, and those panels look kind of have um, a formal approach whereby they look like they reside within a medieval realm. You know, they. I was thinking a lot of the Bayou Tapestry in relation to that series of embroideries. So mm -hmm. formally as well, the kind of, the colour is really important for me. So the, the palette looks kind of like a medieval palette, but the, the meaning of the content related to the embroidery um, I'm trying to, again, like I'm doing with the porcelain, destabilize conventions, the conventions that we know around the material approach. So rather than embroidery being purely decorative, it becomes almost sociopolitical, you know, with a small p, you know. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the embroidery work. Mm -hmm. And in relation to the drawing, oftentimes, you know, I, I make sculpture, obviously, but I'm hugely influenced by painting. I go a lot to painting when... Um, I'm looking for inspiration and the drawing. Yeah. It's another kind of part of my practice where looking at a lot of people like Caravaggio and Artemisia Gentileschi, and Corbet and De Chirico. And I just like the, um, 
again, a lot of the work, a lot of my drawings are residing within the classical realm, but I'm trying to contemporize them. So I layer embed images or signs and symbols that are relative to contemporary in the drawing mm -hmm. work. You previously mentioned uh, several kind of high profile residencies that you've undertaken in cities like Rome, Paris and Pittsburgh. Um, so I'm curious to know how you approach the residency format. Um, I guess my final question really is, do you have a set of definite projects that you want to research or execute when you're commencing a residency? Or do your plans tend to be a bit more flexible and organic? I tend to do have, I tend to have a set of um, definite projects that I want to research. Mm -hmm. um, for the most recent one um, in CCI in Paris, I had a plan to go and spend time with the several, in the Sevres Porcelain Museum. So to do some in-depth research into Sevres, which is really interesting because I have a whole history or of artists' residencies, which stretches back hundreds of years. They've had incredible people like Rodin and um, Louise Bourgeois, who um, did residencies there and made incredible pieces. So that was really great for, for the CCI residency. Um, at the British School of Rome, I went um, really with an idea in mind where I was obsessed with this piece of sculpture called Virgin with the Veil. Mm -hmm. And there's countless... Um, examples of that sculpture made throughout art history, countless examples still exist. And the, the idea with Virgin with the Veil is that, you know, sculptors who were learning their trade would attempt to carve marble or make marble look like lace or a really soft fabric. And when I got to Rome, I thought, I'm going to give that a go myself to see, to challenge myself, to see if I can make a piece of sculpture that looked exquisitely, you know, as soft as that. Really, I'm really interested in the idea of, of something hard appearing soft, as in, you know, marble sculpture. So I made a piece of work that was called Balaclava Bust, and mm -hmm. it really deals with those kind of um, concerns, formal concerns, you know, just really trying to challenge my work. But also, I wanted to embed the work with kind of like a Baroque sensibility. So the sculpture emotes the sculpture kind of relates emotion yeah. and in Pittsburgh um I went trying to really I was just thinking about I'd been making a lot of white faces in you know in the series of busts that I'd been working with and I just wanted to expand the canon I was looking at um all the kind of issues that were going on at the time it's kind of really topical now that the Black Lives Matter campaign and looking mm -hmm. at different models of how throughout history different um approaches to race, you know, had been handled to in um, in sculpture. So kind of looking at the subaltern as a concept as well. And I started to make a series of African-American uh, African busts. So uh, when I was in Pittsburgh, and that was kind of really interesting. So yeah, definitely, I, I do tend to go with more of a definitive kind of idea or a set of objectives that I want to achieve when I go in residency. Well, that's perfect, Ursula. I think we might um, finish up there. It's been lovely chatting to you. I wanted to thank you very much for your time and I hope you have a lovely summer. Hopefully we'll be able to meet again in person very soon at some bustling art event. <laughs> that's great. Thanks so much, John. I really enjoyed it. You have been listening to The Unseen Shows, a podcast series by Visual Artist Ireland. These podcast interviews have been published every two weeks on SoundCloud. 
Where possible, condensed versions of some of these interviews will be published in the Visual Artist Newsheet. Special thanks to our production editor, Christopher Steenson, for audio editing and the music for the podcast. <laughs>